So I want to set the scene for you. The people of Israel left Egypt, the plagues, Moses, the whole thing, right? They wander in the desert 40 years on the way to the promised land. The whole purpose of this story is to remind us that God has a promised land, and if we're not careful, we will wander in our life too. The story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament is a picture of us today. Now, you might say, no, Chuck, not Jewish, not wandering, know where I live, all is well. Well, here's the picture, though. They've wandered for 40 years. We have a whole new generation. We've had people that have, they're old, they were old when they crossed the Red Sea. They were old when God provided manna. They were old when Aaron's rod, God turned it into a fig tree. I mean, they've seen it all, right? But you got younger folks that are traveling with them now. They've heard the stories, but they haven't seen it, right? I mean, they haven't lived it. So now in Joshua chapter three, the people of Israel, Joshua's now in charge, not Moses, and they're camped out beside the river Jordan for three days. Now in those three days, God gives them the plan for how they're gonna go from where they are across the river to their final resting place, which is the promised land that God had promised all the way back to Abraham. Are you with me? Now watch this. They're camped out there, and God has this three-step plan for if you do this, then you can cross the Jordan. But we have a problem. Have you ever noticed that anything worthwhile always seems to have a problem? Like uh, most of us have a Jordan River between us and where God wants us to go no matter what it is, right? Sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's an addiction, sometimes it's, it's a sin, sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's selfishness. It can be all kinds of things, right? We, we have a Jordan that most of us have to cross. And I'd be willing to say most of our Jordan River moments are very similar to the people of Israel because they're camped out there. And you would think having been in the Jordan, and some of you have been there with me and some of you will go again, that the Jordan's not that big. And it doesn't particularly run that fast. But in this season, the Bible tells us that things have changed a lot from then to now. Because at that time, we're in a flood season and a water season. And in that rainy season, the, 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 the Jordan River has overflown its banks. And most historians would say that it would be almost a mile wide and running at the course of about 40 miles an hour. Now, that's a lot of current. You can't swim against that. If you get in that river, you're going way down river and not getting to your destination. So here are these hundreds of thousands of Israelites, and they got to cross the Jordan, but the Jordan seems to be impossible. But here's what I've learned, and I want you to get this as kind of an umbrella of the whole story. Where we think there is no way, this is when God's in the business of building highways. You see, for many of us, we need a road grader to go ahead of us. Some of y'all just need one of those machines that have a brush on it to clean the dust off, right? That's because y'all are doing something right, okay? But you still got junk, right? I mean, you might got trash in the way, and a brush will do. I'm one of those people that needs a road grader. Like, I got so much junk in my life, I, I, need, I need like a big caterpillar road grader that just gets me with a smooth and direct path. This is why we talk about God's in the business of, of getting you on the straight, on the narrow, on the smooth. Get off the crooked path, get out of the rocky road, get where you got to go. But we have a Jordan between us, running 40 miles an hour. Now, at its deepest point, it was probably no more than 12, 15 feet. But... The problem is because it's overflowing its bank so much, you've got all this, all this debris that where you step is totally uncertain. By the time you get to the riverbed, if you've ever been in the Jordan, you sink into mud. It's really silty. 
And so you, you've got all this going on. And there they are thinking, I, there's no way. They need God to create a highway. And the great question is, at this point, just like in our life, are we going to walk by faith or are we going to walk by sight? You say, well, Chuck, oh, that sounds good, but is that actually a biblical phrase? Here's what Jesus said in Luke 18. What is impossible for people is possible for God. Now, this is good, all right? So, you know, this, this is when, like, if you're already a follower of Jesus, this is when it's time to stop and say, do I really believe what I claim to believe? Because if you're going to get from where you are to where God wants you to be, it's going to take more than your strength. Now, some of you in here, you're super strong. I mean, you, you, you can do it, right? That's awesome. But I would say to you, you're never going to reach your full potential on your own. We were built for community. First with God, secondly with one another, and inside the body of Christ. That's why churches have got to start, stop slinging mud against other churches, even if they don't believe what you believe. Stop it. Because we got to get there together, right? So here's the picture. There they are. God was about to reveal the steps on how you go from where you are, cross your Jordan, and get to your promised land. And the first step is super clear because God knows how to get you from stuck and trampled to celebrating and triumphant if you just follow this path. The first one is you got to chase after the move of God. Now, hear me. That's such a preacher term, so I want to break it down for you. It's this simple. We never have a great thing happen apart from God already doing it and us joining him. Like when we go do this, these homeless events with Hope Through Soap, now watch this, we're not doing it. God's already at work there. We're just joining him in it. It meals on wheels, those folks. Do they cook? Do they serve? Do they deliver? Absolutely. But God's already at work in senior adults' lives. We just join him in it. Like when you're on a prayer team around here, what you do, you join God in it. It doesn't matter what it is. At the end of the day, it's not in our strength, it's in his. I don't grow the church. You don't grow the church. God grows the church, right? It's not in, it, I have no special words. I've got no special prayers. I, have, I am not closer to God than you are or can be. We all got an equal access to a God and we can have all of him that we want. But you got to chase after what God is doing. Now to do that, I want you to look with me in Joshua chapter three, beginning in verse two. Three days later, that's three days after they arrive at the river, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you've never traveled this way before, by the way, if you're highlighting, that's a good one to highlight, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Now, this is, I just lost half of you. I mean, half of you are looking like now, that has nothing to do with me. The only thing I know about the Ark of the Covenant is Indiana Jones, right? Okay, we're, we're kind of talking about the same thing, but not exactly. Now, you could say, what makes the Ark of the Covenant such a big deal? Watch this. At Christmas time, we talk about this word, Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us, Right? In the Old Testament, before Jesus has been born in human form, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant is Emmanuel, God with us, because that is the presence of God. So if you're the people of Israel and you got your eyes on the Ark, who do you have your eyes on? God. 
right? Now you say, well, what's inside this thing? Is it a piece of furniture or what's the deal? Well, you got the mercy seat, you got the 10 commandments, you got Aaron's rod that God turned into a fig tree. You've got a jar full of manna that God provided and fed them with. I mean, it's just super cool, right? And all they are are memorials to remind the people of God's presence, okay? Now, this is, this is kind of, this is really just amazing to think about it. The task of the people were, were to follow the ark, meaning follow God. Why then is the statement, stay half a mile back? Not because of the holiness, because listen, you have direct access to God. He's not saying you have to stay away from him. That's not the point. What he's saying is there's hundreds of thousands of you, and I don't want the select few. I don't want just the priest to be up near. I want everybody to see. I want, I want the guy that's never walked to see. I want the guy that's blind to know that you can follow this. I want, I want that person who's living in sin to see. I want the people in the back of the room to see. All you back row folks, they, they want you to see. By the way, these folks are not more holy than you. They just came in late. Now watch this. God wants your eyes on him from anywhere. And he doesn't need me to see him for you. You don't need a priest, a pastor, or a prophet. You just need a savior. And that's found in Jesus alone. So he says, get your eyes on Jesus, because watch this. Centuries later, the true ark of God would come among us, the living Emmanuel, Jesus. Now, if you're trying to figure out how does Jesus in my life have to do with the Ark of the Covenant and Joshua and the Israelites, listen to this. This is, this, this is about to really give you something good. The Ark contained the Ten Commandments, right? But Jesus fulfilled them. The Ark preserved the manna that God fed them in the wilderness, but Jesus becomes the bread of life. The Ark held a symbol of God's power to bring life out of death Jesus is alive from the dead and seated at the right hand of God the Father in the mercy seat. Come on. See, this is how God connects his story from the creation to when he comes back again. And you are in the thick of the story. How cool is that? Now, we are all constantly moving into the future. Some of us are still stuck in our past. If you're an Israelite and it's a story of us and the Jordan is in front of us and I've got this big thing that I've got to get to because I want all that God has for me, but this is in my path. Have you ever been at a stage in your life where you felt like, God, why do you keep putting me in this mess? It's always me. There's always a problem. It's like, God, where are you when I need you? Now hear me. If you don't get anything out of the day, I want you to hit this. Jesus didn't come, die on a cross, be buried, raised from the dead, hang around 40 days, let 500 people witness his resurrection, go sit by the right hand of Father, praying for you right now so that you could stay stuck and wallow in your past. He came not to keep you out of your mess, but to walk through your mess with you. You see, listen, we have bought into the lie that preachers scream around the country that if you give your life to Jesus, you're not going to have any more problems. Guys, that is heresy and hogwash. I got more junk in my life than any human I know, and I know I love Jesus. But if God never let me experience heartache, I'd never surrender to him because we are so full of pride that we'll think we can do it. Listen to me, folks. We can't do it. 
apart from him. You want to cross the Jordan and get where God wants you to be? You got to get your eyes on God. You say, well, Chuck, what does that literally mean? You got to start building your own memorial. Okay, Chuck, you just lost me. I'm barely in this church thing and you're already... Okay, now watch this. Four people bring a crippled man to see Jesus in the New Testament. They couldn't get to him because the crowd was too big. The church people were inside criticizing Jesus. By the way, church people always criticizing something funky happening in church. They cut a hole in the roof. They lower, Jesus, they lower this guy down right in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at this dude and he says, your sins are forgiven. What did the church people go? Oh, you can't, can't do that. I mean, you got to follow the rules. I mean, can you imagine Jesus? Rule, I am the rule. So then he, he says, well, I know what's going on here. So he looks at me and said, bro, get up and walk. First time ever. Dude stands up. Now, Jesus doesn't say leave. He says, roll your mat up and take it with you. Why? Because I think Jesus wants him to look at that mat every single day as a memorial to what he's done in his life. Come on. I believe we need to stop thinking and living in our past and build a memorial to remember how God brought us from it. You see, I look at this and I think to myself, we, we, we want a clear way, but we want to do it on our own. Americans love independence. I mean, think, think of how many of us scream about, well, that's my right. Well, this, that's my right. Well, with Jesus, you don't have to fight for rights because he gave you everything. With Jesus, you don't have to be a victim and talk about how people are against you. You got the victor living inside you. It's the opportunity to say, I am so in with Jesus. Say what you want. I'll let him deal with it. Let's go. So there we are. And we can't see our way clear. So we sit and we zip up our tent and we just stay where we're at and we wallow in mediocrity, blaming somebody for our past. All the while, Jesus says, bring me your past and lay it down. And let me give you a new future. You say, well, Chuck, you're talking about people that don't know Jesus. No, no, look at me. Some of y'all have been saved for 40 years. And you're still living with selfishness and sin. And you're not laying your junk down with Jesus. And you're living in this victim mentality thinking, stop it. You got the savior of the world, the one who literally left heaven and came here for you, who gave his life, who was raised from the dead. Live like it. Live like it. Go ahead. Cross the Jordan, but get your eyes on him. Chase after him. Now, secondly, he says, you got to prepare for the journey. Now, this is where we lose a lot of people. Like this whole thing of, okay, I, I, I want to chase after God, but hear me. When you chase after God, the world's not going to like you. And Satan's going to come up against you. Listen, following Jesus is not like running water. Running water will always follow the path of least resistance. If you follow God, you will get splatted up against a boulder sometimes. Because he needs you to be fully dependent on him. It's not about independence. It is about radical dependence on God alone. He says, you got to prepare for the journey. In the fifth verse in Joshua 3, it says, Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. The Hebrew word, which is what this text came from, the Hebrew word for purify means to prepare, to dedicate, to be holy, to be separate, to be set apart. God was telling his people that if you're going to cross the uncrossable, you got to follow God's will. They got to focus on God alone. Now, I just lost you when I got to holy. And you're like, Chuck, I'm, the last thing somebody's going to describe me as is holy. 
The last thing somebody's going to describe me as is a person after God's own heart. Okay. I, I can no longer see who y'all are, but you can see me. Now watch this. The first step in preparing your heart is to deal with your sin. Ouch. Chuck, that is not how you grow a church. I mean, you're supposed to make people warm and fuzzy. That's your job. No, my, my job is to tell you the truth. And until such time as you deal with your sin and stop pointing out everybody else's sin, you're going to stay lost in the muck of your tent and you're not crossing the Jordan. See, the problem is we say things like love the sinner, hate the sin. Look at me. We need to love the sinner because we're one of them. And we need to deal with our own sin. We need to deal with our own selfishness. We need to deal with our own self-righteousness. We need to deal with our addiction. And we are all addicted to sin. We love it when we look at somebody who's an addict and think, well, how could they let that happen to them? The same way you became a gossip, the same way you look at porn every night, the same way you started cheating on your wife, that's exactly how it happens. So if we're not careful, we're going to live in our addiction to sin. We got to deal with it. You say, well, Chuck, listen, I don't want to confess that to Jesus. I don't want to get beat up. Watch this. It's only humans that judge you that way. You bring your junk to Jesus. And he says, let me have it. Give me a hug. Come on. Let's go and do that one again. Do your thing. I love you. You say, Chuck, is that biblical? That's 100% biblical. Jesus says he came to give you life and to give it to you in abundance. And then he said, if anybody would bring me their sin and ask for forgiveness, they got it with no condemnation. You see, the only people that are going to throw junk on you and cast shade on you because of your sin is probably the person that's got their bigger hidden sin in their own life. And you're not here to please them. You're here to please him. So why wouldn't we just prepare for the journey? You, but you, you, you got to deal with forgiveness of your own sin. Now I can see you again. One of the primary reasons Israel wandered in a stupor for 40 years is they didn't deal with their own junk. They kept pointing backward to why everybody else was their problem. Friend, your problem's not your spouse. Your problem's not your kids. Your problem's not your boss. Your problem's not what your neighbor says about you. Your problem is a heart that needs Jesus to take over. Now, now, hear me. I want to be careful. I want to be so careful here. I'm not saying that because I got my junk figured out. I'm saying that because I got to get my junk right. I'm the chief sinner in this room. Hear me. I got an ego a mile wide. I got a strip of selfishness that is unbelievable. I got my own biases. I got my own hatreds. I got my own sin. And I promise you, you're not carrying one sin bigger, badder, or worse than mine. Not one. Every human's got to deal with this. And anybody that tells you they've got their junk figured out, don't listen to them. They're a liar. Jesus came because we all need a Savior. Deal with our sin. But now the second thing is you got to put on your spiritual glasses. Now, some of y'all, you wear glasses, and with them you can see pretty good. A lot of y'all put on reading glasses because you don't. I've seen some of the font on some of your iPhones. It's that big. You're so vain, you won't wear reading glasses, but you're reading a letter at a time. It's taking you a half a day to get through a text. I've seen it, y'all. I've been in your car. And they're like, whoa, bro, you are physically blind. Why are you driving? Right? I mean, put on your spiritual glasses. Here's what that means. If you want God's best, 
you're going to seek after him. Can you imagine the people of Israel wanting to see a miracle? Like, I heard you parted the Red Sea. Could you part this for us? I don't want to see it. Most of us in this room and watching this online are saying, but Chuck, if God would send me a sign, I'd believe him. All right, now, hear your pastor today. You ready? God's sending you signs nonstop. You're just not looking for them because you want to try to explain God's way with a human way, and you can't humanly explain a supernatural God. So get your eyes open and look for what God's already doing. I show up in Candace's room. I don't know her from Jack, but I do know this. God put me there for a reason. It was one reason. Do you know Jesus? How many people are going to cross your path this week and you wonder, I wonder if they know Jesus. What if they're there for you to ask them? Ouch. Well, Chuck, I pay you to do that job. Well, number one, you don't pay me enough. (laughs) And number two, that's your job. Hmm, Chuck, it, I don't know if I like this side of you. I like that Jesus loves you side. That is Jesus loving you because he lets you in on his redemptive plan. We got to get our eyes on. Listen to what it means. I'm going to read this quote to you because it just blessed my heart this week. You ready? This is what seeking after God with spiritual lenses looks like. I will set aside the typical and put my spirit on alert to see where God is working around me so that I can join him. Come on. You want to know who said that? A person who set aside everything in the world to go to the slums to work with the lowest people on earth, Mother Teresa. You know what we know her as? The model servant. I will set aside the typical and put my spirit on alert to see where God is working around me so that I can join him. You know what that looks like? It's not about me. It's about the fact that God invites me into his work. Now, think about it. Some of you are sitting there, God doesn't ever invite me. Every morning, God's inviting you into his work. You're literally choosing yes or no. Look, Chuck, do you know how busy I am? Okay, now hear me. Watch this. Take in a deep breath through your nose. One more time. God, I want to hear from you today. Give me direction, purpose, and wisdom. I want to see you at work. Amen. If you don't have time for that, it is not because you don't have time. It is because you have no faith. You say, well, Chuck, but I, I don't, I've seen you scroll on Facebook. I see the reels you post. If you don't have time for that, it is not because you don't have time. It is because you don't believe Jesus, which means you need to give your life to Jesus. Because if he's alive at work in you, you will want him to work through you. And if you don't want him to work through you, you need to meet him. You say, well, Chuck, I've been saved for 40 years. How dare you question that? Okay. Here's what I'd say. How dare you claim to love Jesus for 40 years and not let him do one blessed thing in your soul? Ouch. Chuck, you didn't say that at 915. They didn't need to hear it. You do. Look at verses 7 and 8. The Lord told Joshua that you need to step out and stand still. Here's the third piece. Now, there's people out there like me. I have 
I drive poor Bobby and our staff bat crazy. I have a radical bias toward action. I like to get stuff done. My wife will ask me when I come home, are you still in management mode? You know what that means? I like to get stuff done. I don't always like to do it well, but I love to get it done. Are you with me? I have never overthought anything in my life. Not one. Like, do you know how I buy a new car? I'd want it in that color. I have never test driven a vehicle in my life. You say, Chuck, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Welcome to my world. Bobby overthinks everything. Thank God for somebody doing that. I would march you off the map where the dragons live. Let's fight the dragons. This is going to be awesome. Bobby's like, you don't have to, but it'll be fun. Some of us like to get in the water, 40 miles an hour, 12 feet deep, brush underneath, muck in the bottom. Let's go. God promised, let's go. And then there's Bobby. We need a plan, people. Now, I would just say to you, there's a time to let's go, but more often than not, we need a plan, right? I mean, how many of you are planner kind of people? Be honest. That's most of you. How many of you think I'm crazy the way I buy cars like that? Go ahead, be honest. I ain't going to change. God made me all messed up just like this. I'm just going to celebrate. And I'm going to work with y'all because I know you're good at what you do. But let me just stop and say, I don't understand your brain at all. Sometimes we need people to wade into the kiddie pool. Other times we need people to jump off the high dive and get a wedgie. Right? I'm a wedgie guy. So I'm like, let's go in the water. God promised, let's go. Look what happened in verse 7 and 8. The Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and then listen and stop there. Now, this is a cool picture. For those of us that like to do stuff, we get to go stand, we get to walk in the water. For those of us that need a plan, we've got to learn to stop. You see, this is a picture of, yes, God had them set back a half a mile for a purpose so that everybody could see. Everybody could get their eye on Jesus. The lowest of the low could keep their eyes on God. Somebody had to walk in the water with the ark. And then God said, but you need to stop and be still. What's the next lesson? Because we got to stop being independent like we talked about and learn pure dependence. You got to stop and hear from God. You see, until you depend fully on God to cross your Jordan, you're just going to stand there. And if you're not careful, somebody like me will walk in the river and think we can do it on our own, but we can't. There's not one of us in here that cross our own, on our own Jordan on our own. We need full, total dependence on God. When you fully surrender, you know what will happen? The world is going to tell you you're a fool. And Jesus is going to say, wear it like a badge of honor because I'm going to carry you. This is what the Christian does. He says, give this command. Walk in. And then in verse 13, the priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. It's at that moment that I say, let's go. God said he's going to do it. Let's go. 
And somebody said, but we need a plan. It's like, good, we're going to step in the water. We're going to wait on God. And 19 miles upstream, the water stopped like a wall. And the muck and the mud became dry like pavement. And the road grader came through and made a way. And they walked across the river. Later in the scriptures, God says, I want you now to go back and get some rocks. And I want you to build a memorial because I'm going to carry you through this. Listen, faith moves you forward in God's way and in God's timing. Remember, God's timing is rarely on your schedule. He is a most inconvenient God. Because if he were on your schedule, he wouldn't be God. You would be. But God doesn't fit in my wristwatch. He fits me in his universe. And in his perfect timing, he calls us to join him in his work. Faith moves us forward in God's way and in God's timing. And there will come a moment when you've got to act and stand in the water and then learn to stop and be fully dependent on him. And in that moment, when you step in the water, yes, you've got to stop. But all the people had their eyes on the ark, positioned high on the shoulders of the priests. They were wading into the shallows of the river. Everybody's ready, prepared and spiritually alert, watching for something only God could do. And he stops the water and he's done it again. Now hear me, he wants to stop the water and let you go from where you are to where he wants you to be. But you got to get your eyes on him. You got to get your heart prepared and you got to step in the water. Because you got to want God's will for your life. You got to trust God's will for your life. You got to move forward with God's will in your life because nothing is too difficult for the God of all creation. God focused us on his son, the Lord Jesus. He prepares your heart for him and be ready to move when he does. It's Rock Sunday. Let's go. You say, well, now, Chuck, help me. They, they, they were supposed to build a what? They were building a memorial. Some of them said, this rock right here, that, that's my faith. Those are my prayers. That's my addictions. That's my marriage. Those are my kids. That's my prayer life. That's my Bible reading. That's my church life. And I'm going to build a memorial in my life to remember that God brought me from where I was to where he wants me to be. And he wants me to look at it every stinking day and remember all he's done for me to give me a heart to know all he's got for me. Let's go. So here's what I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you to just build one rock today. Every year we do this. I think we've done this eight or nine years now, Pastor Bobby. Every year people send me a picture of eight or nine of these they've been a part of. I found last week's rock, last year's rock where I wrote on it, I, this year I want to be spirit-led. I don't know if you've been able to see that in my life this year, but I'm telling you, man, I've seen God do some of the coolest stuff I could ever imagine.
And you know what's awesome? He let me be a little tiny part of it. I, I'm with him, man. I'm 100% in. So this year, I, I changed my word this week. I, I like change. I wake up every day. What are we going to change today? But this is my word. Relentless. I want to relentlessly chase after God. I want to relentlessly deal with my sin. I want to relentlessly get my eyes on the miracles of God. I want to relentlessly look at God at work. I want to go for God. I don't want to stop. I don't want to quit. I don't want to get lazy. I'm ready to go for God. Let's go. Now hear me. You say, Chuck, writing on rocks is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. It might be. But I'm telling you, every year, Jenny and I put this rock next to our coffee. And it reminds me every day, I want to be spirit-led. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to walk and see my rock before I get my coffee because I don't really function until about two cups. Some of you are thinking, you need to cut him off today. But hear me. I want to look at that in the morning and say, God, I want to be relentlessly chasing after you because I expect you to do something marvelous in my eyes. So in a minute, I'm going to invite you to just get up out of your cheek. You don't have to go get up one time. You, just don't, you, get, you get one of these Sharpies. You write on your rock. You blow on it before you put it in your pocket. Like, you know, just, you know, because you don't want it wiping on your britches. All right? Hear me, church. Build a memorial to God's faithfulness in your life. Trust to see what it'll do. But there's some of you in this room right now are saying, Chuck, I don't know where to start. You start with Jesus. You stay with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You say, well, okay, what do I do? Jesus, will you forgive me? I'm going to deal with my sin right now. Will you forgive me? Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried for me. And I believe you rose from the dead for me. Jesus, I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you. You say, well, Chuck, do I have to join your church? Heavens, no. There's nothing special. Membership is not going to be measured when you get to heaven. Your heart's going to be measured when you get to heaven. Well, Chuck, do I have to get baptized? No, but I think you probably want to. Well, do I have to give to your church? I'm broke. Nope. What do I have to do? Jesus, will you deal with my sin? Jesus, I believe you died for me and you rose from the dead for me. Jesus, I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you. You say, okay, Chuck, look at Exactly how do I do that? Look right here. We're going to pray, but we're going to have our eyes wide open. You realize God doesn't care, right? I mean, all of that, it's, I, don't, I don't know where all that came from. When I close my eyes, my brain is gone. So I, I like to pray eyes wide open, all right? So we're going to pray right here. If you want to give your life to Jesus, say this out loud. You can say it as loud as you want, say as quiet as you want, okay? But if you want to trust Jesus right now and get started on this journey, pray this with me and mean it in your heart. You ready? Jesus. No, no, you say it. Jesus, please forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me and you rose for me. I want to turn my life around and live for you. Thank you for heaven. Make a way. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you're like me, I didn't hear angels. I didn't see bright lights. I didn't see stars. But for 50 plus years, I know he's been in my heart. Tomorrow morning, wake up with a relentless passion to chase after Jesus. Heavenly Father, give my friends their word. Let them use it as a memorial to your greatness in their life. Use this time to build on our rock, our foundation, the rock on which we stand. Strengthen our people in this room with your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Y'all start making your way up here.